0: And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is Irreverent, Faith and Current Affairs.
1: Well, welcome everybody to a special episode of Irreverent, which is also simultaneously going out on Catacomb FM. This is Daniel French, and if this episode wasn't special enough, It's actually being recorded on St George's Day. My very special guest today speaks profoundly into the culture wars, not only in society, but also within the church. So, without much ado, welcome to Calvin Robinson. Well, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. For listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Calvin, and your backstory, let's kick off with you introducing yourself, and tell us also why, in the last few days, you yourself have hit the headlines. I believe it was the Daily Express and then your own GB News that covered this.
0: Um, thank you for inviting me on. Um, when one of the journalists called me to find out what was going on, they asked questions like, so I understand you went for a job and you haven't you haven't gotten that job. What was the role that you went for? And I realised at that point that it was going to be a very difficult conversation because the cultural capital just wasn't there. So I'm very pleased to be able to talk to someone who not really understands the process but has lived through the process. So um, I was a school teacher. Uh, I was in education for six or seven years. Absolutely love it. I was a deputy head. Uh, I was consulting for the DfE. It's a great passion of mine. But at some point... Quite early in that process, I realised that um, it was only part of my vocation, and I was feeling a strong call to ordained ministry. Um, so the discernment process has probably taken to be a, probably about seven years in total as well. It's, it's been a long process, uh, but the, for the last two years, I've been training uh, at Oxford in a theological college called St Stephen's House, uh, which I've finished at now, and that's been I've been getting a theological background in the in the Catholic uh, orthodoxy of the Church of England and it's a, it's a very niche sector at the moment but essentially there is there is room for people with traditional Christian values within the Church of England the, there are something called the five guiding principles which uh, states that we should be able to flourish mutually those who who want a more liberal progressive stance, and those that want to would prefer to stick to scripture and to traditional orthodoxy so we're supposed to be able to coexist. I'm also a conservative politically, so I'm co- conservative theologically and politically, and that seems to cause a bit of a ruckus in my life at the moment. So um, in order to bring you up to date, although, of course, you're familiar with a lot of this, I was given a curacy in or assigned a curacy in uh, late last year, late 2021. Lovely church in a deprived area of London, very much a Catholic setting. I was very much looking forward to it. Uh, along the idea of going down a route of what the what my bishop and, and other people have called a bivocational route, which means I'll spend part of my time in a parish setting, part of my time doing doing my media work, which is also uh, part of the calling because it's it's public ministry and it's you know I've, I've been able to uh, proclaim the gospel to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people uh, in a way that wouldn't normally we wouldn't normally have had access to. So I, I think that's a very important. Uh, prophetic gift that have been granted that should be nurtured. Um, so the church was supportive at first. Just to
1: clarify for our listeners, part-time ministry has been encouraged for years in the Church of England and a large number of clergy are non-stipended or part stipend I know priests who are working in healthcare, in the service industry, in teaching and in engineering and so on. So a priest who's also a paid journalist is not against any HR rules of the Church of England.
0: It saves the church money in the first instance because they only have to pay half a stipend or no stipend at all if you have house ministry. But also it enables you to live out the gospel in the world uh, amongst the people, which is, of course, very important because our job, part of our calling is to mm-hmm. disciple, um, not just to silo ourselves off into, into a, a single building. So it's all very important, all very good work, and it's all very common. However... Mm-hmm. At some point, the, the people in power, the, the hierarchy, decided that what I was going to be doing with my second half of my time was a little bit too problematic for them, in that having a public profile, going on Twitter, going on GB News, um, what I would say preaching the truth, but what they might say is, is being controversial Mm. um would be too problematic for them and I think what the bishops decided was that actually the bivocational model wasn't going to work for them in the end and that they would have preferred for me to take a full-time ministry position Mm. or go silent uh, and go silent rather and I think that that would would have been a great shame silencing uh the the platform that i've been gifted uh, to i think to use for spreading the good news and to, to remove that rather than nurture it and and take advantage of it would be a great mistake a great shame but essentially the bishops said at some point we don't think it's going to work out but the problem is that within the church of england you have a certain amount of time to do that and um you know the the bishop said to me there'd be too many complaints it'd be too miserable for both you and me we're doing this for your own good and I'm like well show me the complaints and I'll pray on them I'll discern on them and I'll figure out a way forward a route forward that I don't affect these you know upset these people in this way and they wouldn't share them so I sent a subject access request into the bishops to find everything out there'd be less than a handful of complaints about me I'll get into this what they were later if you'd like but but what I'm getting out here is that It wasn't a major issue there wasn't major turbulence and it was would be a great shame to shut down for that reason
1: though the diocese of london disclosed only a handful of moans and complaints presumably your mailbag is stuffed with good comments with praise i bet this far outweighs the other do you think a lot of people in church leadership calvin have yet to fully understand how Twitter works. Much of it is a combative exchange of ideas rather than the place to post pictures of the vicar opening the village fate.
0: But there's a way on the, on Twitter, on things like Twitter, to reach people. And I don't think a lot of the higher hierarchy understand how. You know, there's an article recently that said Calvin Robinson has 10 times the number of followers on Twitter than the Bishop of London. And that's not inconsequential. That, that suggests that maybe the Bishop of London doesn't know how to engage with people on that platform. And that's maybe not her calling. Maybe she doesn't, you know, that she, maybe she's not interested, but I think there are tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people out there that do need to be touched through that platform. Mm. But you're quite right in that for every, well, I mean, there was less than a handful of complaints, but for every complaint, there's, I don't know how 10 times, hundred times, basically on a, on a monthly basis, well, on a weekly basis. Now I get hundreds of messages, emails, direct messages, um, sent to me personally, sent to GB news uh, of things along the lines of, thank you for proclaiming the gospel. Thank you for being overtly Christian. It's encouraged me to be to do the same, you know, or things like I've picked up a Bible for the first time in years, based on something you said. And all of these mm. are to me, signs of mission and evangelism at play. The signs that we are doing what we're supposed to be doing um, in reaching the people.
1: Jamie, Tom and I have had similar, very, very positive feedback, really heartening stuff. Typically we're getting nearly every other day stories of conversions to Christianity, sometimes from quite ardent atheists who have been triggered by the awfulness of the pandemic and the lockdowns and perhaps in silence have turned to the God that they once disbelieved. The uphill struggle I find is trying to help connect these people to the church particularly their own local church sadly too often what seems to happen is they trundle down to the local church or they go and reach out by knocking on the vicarage door and what they get instead of open arms is a vicar or minister who rolls their eyes? Presumably because they think they don't fit the criteria of what a new Christian should be. It's outrageous.
0: Yes. Or know, I, just, I went to the local church. Oh, the, the vicar was preaching to me about climate change or something and put me off. Yeah, I get I get two types of contacts mostly. One is the conversion story, right. but the other is the the type of person that's um, affirming or reaffirming or 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 has lost way. Um, um, a person that has um, lost the faith and or lost the connection with the church and, and is refinding it. And I think that's so important. The people that we're reaching out to, I mean, I've seen some of the comments you guys get, you know, you're doing God's work, but the, the people we're reaching out to, I think a lot of people in the hierarchy see as the wrong type of people. And that's what it comes down to. You know, I have meetings with the hierarchy and, and try to, I've showed printouts, I've showed examples. I was like, look, look at all these people, mm. page after page of people that were supporting, encouraging and discipling. Yeah. And they were like, well, yes, you may be reaching out to those people, but what about people like me who find you divisive? And I'm, I'm like, what? Well, First of all, we're not meant to appease everyone. You can't appease everyone. It's literally impossible. But secondly, this is divisive. The, the gospel is divisive. It's one of the most scandalous messages in history, in human history. But also, what should that matter? If if, if my work isn't appe- appe- appealing to people like you, like, fine, you've got plenty of people like you around you, actually. There are, there are a silent majority in this country that don't feel heard, that don't feel addressed. And if I'm helping to reach out to them, why would that be seen as a bad thing? Yeah.
1: Do you not think, Calvin, that the current strategy is to reach out to the very small number of student activist types who would be interested in Anglicanism? Which I think must come down to, I don't know, 5,000 people or so at the most, in comparison to the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, who could be turning to christ um i mean you you've said in a, an article i saw a few days ago you know that they're they're looking to attract uh, the sort of metropolitan guardian mm. readers exclusively and therefore pushing aside
0: everybody else that's what it is so when i put my subject access request in i found out a couple of things one was that they decided this that they weren't going to go through with me way back in January. And I hadn't heard any of this until at least end of end February or into March Um, and getting to a point where it's actually too late for me to do anything about it. So obviously in the Church of England, you don't have to stay with your sending diocese when he goes training. I could have approached other dioceses, but at this point in the game, it's actually just too late for all of that really. And they've used time as a bit of a weapon to kind of push me out. But the other thing I learned was that while there might only have been a handful of complaints about me from the public, there was a continuous um, campaign against me by the Bishop of Edmonton, actually, who was constantly sending emails to the Bishop of London and to the Archbishop of Canterbury. Have you seen Calvin's tweet on this? I'm really concerned about this. Calvin doesn't believe this country is institutionally racist. Uh, institutionally racist. We should keep an eye on his ordination process wink wink in other words saying he doesn't share our politics should we really let him through that's a chilling line isn't it very chilling very chilling upset me because it's not a line to do with my faith it's nothing to do with scripture it's not saying he's not a christian it's saying he doesn't share my politics therefore i don't want him to be ordained Mm -hmm. i find that to be quite wicked but what's more troubling about it is the people that we're reaching more more often than not, share our our thoughts on this, in that this country isn't institutionally racist. The church isn't institutionally racist. There are elements of racism that we need to work on and improve for everyone, but that doesn't make the whole thing racist. And I think the vast majority of people in this country share that view. So for the church to be sneering at people that don't share it is very, very troubling.
1: Mm, I mean, I I find the irony slapped onto irony in this, that the, the instances that I've seen, of what you might call institutional racism in, in the Anglican communities' country have been more to do with, we don't want, you know, clergy from Africa, say, because of their traditional views. Yeah. <laughs> because they uphold Christian teaching. Yeah, Christian uh, teaching. <laughs> uh, I
0: think that's the crux of it, actually, Father. I think that the fact of the matter is that the church is trying to catch up to societal standards. It's trying to appear liberal-progressive. As an institution, it may not be racist, but it is, I would say, woke in that it wants to make everyone feel happy and comfortable and included. But that's not the job of the church. The church Mm -hmm. is to be inclusive in the sense that everyone is welcome to be changed through an experience with Christ. But it's not inclusive in the terms of watering down the faith and our values in order not to offend everyone so everyone feels at home. And when we have people like, you know, Rowan Williams, who I've respected and admired for years, coming out and saying the church should be a safe space where people can attend without fear of judgment makes me feel that we've totally lost our way as an institution because the whole job of church is to give people the fear of judgment because I, judgment time is coming.
1: I, I think what you and I are doing here is, is trying to go deeper and under the, under the surface of what's happening. And it strikes me that the issue that you're raising is, is a lack of diversity of, of political opinion within the church, that there's all the, all the chat about diversity and inclusion but actually diversity of belief, diversity of political opinion. Um, It doesn't seem that in certain parts of the church that this matches society. No, and, and it's not two way either. So on one
0: end of the stick, we are as traditionalists, I'm talking about myself and people around me at the moment, that Uh, we're supposed to have a mutual tolerance and respect for those people that do believe in the ordination of women. However, I don't see the other in the reverse. And a lot of the issues in the uh, emails that I've seen about me from the hierarchy since getting my DSAR back were that Calvin doesn't believe in the ordination of women. Now, the vast majority of the universal church, the vast majority of the church Catholic do not believe in the ordination of women uh, and do not believe that the Church of England has that um, unil- that power to make a unilateral decision like that on its own. Uh, There's so many theological debates about it, so many political debates about it, and that's fine. I'm not here for those debates. But my point is that there has to be a mutual tolerance and a mutual respect if there are still, if the vast majority of people around the world still don't hold this stance, in the UK it's a minority of us, then we should, we should be respected and tolerated for that that viewpoint, and we were not. Uh, uh, One of the major issues that the Bishop of Edmonton has with me, not just uh, that I don't believe that the country is institutionally racist, is that I do not believe in the ordination of women. I'm a traditionalist Catholic who who sticks to church teaching and and church doctrine and will not bend on social liberal views or chase societal norms. But this is just, you know, that issue is settled as far as the church is concerned. The next major issue along these lines is homosexual marriage, and that As far as I can see it at the moment, it looks to me that the church is pushing for this in a way that will break down the church. It could be very well be the end of the Church of England because it's this idea that oh, we have to be inclusive. Uh, It's about loving people. Of course, we should love everyone. Of course, we should include everyone. But it's not about changing the word of God. (laughs) <laughs> we have the Bi- The Holy Bible is the Word of God, and it teaches us that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's not to say we can't love people that are born homosexual. And I'm happy to to capitulate the idea that people are born that way. But what I'm not happy to do is suggest that we can change what a sacrament is in order to make people feel more included. We have to bring. We have to find other ways of being compassionate and bringing people in and looking after people and praying with people.
1: It's all too easy in certain circles to push a caricature of Christian orthodoxy as cold and callous. I think good disagreement must surely begin by seeing that traditional Christians are not devoid of compassion, but rather the reverse. I'm sure you've seen it, Calvin. It's the sort of lazy thinking that first to demonize any slightest deviation from the progressive narrative. Sadly, people prefer to live in a world of binaries or their own social media bubble, where they only hear they want to hear
0: because they don't see it in a biblical context they see it in a matter of human rights or equality Mm. and so they're already looking at it through a secular lens which is troubling because we're not on the same ground in order to debate we have to find common ground but yeah they they i think that they see us in bad faith and they see us lacking compassion and 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 Mm. charity but the thing that's always always struck me about the the homosexual argument is that issues in human sexuality isn't Actually, about homosexuality, it's about having sex outside of marriage, and that that affects everyone. And we've we've lost the the importance of marriage in our society, and the family breakdown has resulted in you know, I mean, we already see the we know the statistics. If your family breaks down before you're while you're a kid, you're twice as likely to end up in prison, twice as likely to end up um, taking drugs more than twice as likely to end up homeless. We know the effect of family breakdown, it's terrible on our society, yet we don't want to emphasize the importance of marriage and family uh, because we're afraid to. And things like having, you know, sex outside of marriage is counterscriptural. So therefore we should we should preach about it and we should suggest that it. it's it's something that's very special and important that happens between a man and a woman when they are married. And we should tell them why marriage is important and not skirt around it and not look at it as a secular issue, and look at it as an issue of faith.
1: I totally, I totally agree, and it's it just seems moot. Well, church perfect. is
0: embarrassed about its own values. Yeah.
1: What's your next steps um, after all this? Can we?
0: Well, my next step oh. is first of all to sue the London Col- College of Bishops. Um, my barristers are looking very deeply into into what we're suing them on, but I've I've come to the conclusion now that perhaps my calling, um, as strongly as I feel a calling to ordained ministry, perhaps part of this journey is exposing uh, the deep rots in, in, the, in the established church that we love. And, there, and people say, well, why would you want to join an institution like that? I do love the church uh, because it's Christ's body. Um, and the only reason I criticise it is because I know we can do better. And we have—we really do have an echo chamber of groupthink amongst the hierarchy. There is no diversity of, of, of as, Of politics as you pointed out but even just thought and opinion there is no diversity the the whole process was changed i think under gordon brown because he was embarrassed as a scot with a completely different view on how church and state interact we've had pretty much one single person responsible for for promoting uh, clergy to bishops uh, to, to the episcopate for the last almost two decades and that has resulted in the long march through the institution being a very short march actually um and it needs reversing it needs fixing we need to have a, either a democratic process or separation of church and state or um a, an emphasis on diversity like there is in every other aspect mm-hmm. of our lives um and i think that's a fight that i'm willing to make uh, even if it is at the cost of my own um ordained future
1: which leads me to my next question about you personally calvin you've just completed two years of theology Normally, you'd be going on to ordination. How are you feeling in yourself about all of this? There must be a sense of disappointment and loss.
0: So, and I, I like I say, I still I still do feel that strong calling to ordain ministry uh, to, to the to the presbytery and the royal priesthood of Christ. I do feel like at some point I will be administering the sacraments, just not now. And I think if if, if God calls you to something. No one can get in the way of that, so I do think at some point that will happen. So I have faith in that, mm-hmm. but I'm, I am sad that it's not happening right now. But of course, we can, we can we never get what we want when we want it. And I've been trying to pray for uh, God to fill me with His will and and lead me in the direction that He wants me to best serve Him, rather than praying to be ordained or praying for what I personally feel that I want or need. Uh, it's not easy, but that's what I've been doing. But as for the last couple of years, it's been incredibly difficult. You know, I sacrificed a lot to come here. i sacrificed a great career in education uh, I've turned down many great offers. You know, people often who oppose me often call me a grifter because I go on TV and I say things and like that. I've turned down six-figure salaries and full-time uh, broadcast work to to stay here in, in, in this position. I've turned down CEO positions in think tanks, again, with great salaries, great great status, to, to stay here and study theology. It is, it is a calling, and I resent the idea that it's anything else. Mm. Uh, but I've picked up a lot. I've learned a lot. You can see a portion of my bookshelf right now. I've read pretty much all of these books, and I I love theology. I have a real passion for it. and I will continue to read theology, um, and and I will continue to do my public ministry as long as the platform is uh, is gifted to me, uh, however long that lasts. And hopefully, like I say, someday I will I will enter the ordained ministry. um, But we'll see what happens.
1: Personally, I know that ordained ministry is a wonderful blessing, and it is my sincere hope that for you, Calvin. At some point, you too will know that blessing. Hopefully, too, continuing in that work in the media as a commentator and journalist. Because the media world is easily devoid of good Christians, particularly those who are generous and orthodox. My fear is that when it comes to vicars in the world of media, the picture is very one-sided. For me, this is evident in Dr Ian Paul. A noted theologian's letter this week on his website to the Reverend Richard Coles who's become something of a national institution has been a parish priest I think about 20 years or so a former member of the Communards. He has a slot doesn't he on Radio 2 if I'm right on Saturday mornings. To Ian's credit this is a really generous and touching letter. Perfect example of being loyal to the tradition and yet also overflowing with the milk of human kindness. The letter is reacting to Richard Coles early retirement and his lament that in his view, the Church of England is not the place it could be for LGBT people. But Dr. Paul also notes that unlike the rest of us, Richard Coles enjoys considerable soft power and in exercising that soft power, he might be oblivious to the reality that many of us feel quite anxious about actually having a voice or using our voice. And I can easily imagine Orthodox Anglicans asking the question, where are our media vicars? Where are the voices that sound like us? Yeah. They're diverse. Who's, who's on the other side? Well, this is it. Where is the balance in this? You know, Calvin, if if you're not ordained, where is the diversity? There's none, and this is
0: another reason I'm going to fight. Because since coming out with my story, I've had lots, of, dozens of priests, vicars that have said things along the lines of. <clears throat> Thank you for fighting this fight. I also agree with this, uh, you theologically and in principle, but I cannot speak about it publicly. And I have people who say, I'm just waiting to get to the next post. I'm just waiting to get to the next position. Then I'll feel safe enough to say X, Y, Z. Of course, we spend our whole lives just waiting to get to the next hurdle. Uh, and there's always another hurdle. So I think people need to feel comfortable proclaiming the truth with a capital T from day one from now and not have fear of being cancelled but there are so many people that are afraid because the church has that power that institutional power over them you know it can literally starve people out it can you can have your stipend removed you can have clergy disciplinary measures uh put in place there's so much to prevent you from speaking the truth as as you perceive it and if we're in an era of all that's all about proclaiming the truth, and we all have our own my truth, then we should be we should be able to feel comfortable proclaiming the universal truth that is Jesus Christ. And if if we're not, there's a problem. That's
1: not healthy. I mean, it, it struck me that one of the glories of the Church of England used to be that used to be that there was this incredible diversity of opinion. There were always ding-dongs, yeah. there were always these sort of shouty matches, and um, that there were mad cannons and books. Bu- bonkers bishops who had all sorts of opinions and some glorious saints in the middle of that and some amazing brains and minds and that was sort of part of the fun of the Church of England even dare I say it you know that you could you could watch General Synod and say wow you know that was a fantastic that was a fantastic debate and everyone on every side gave as good as an impassioned speech has yeah. as served them well. If in some sort of corporatist strategy that is airbrushed out, uh, I, I find that rather worrying, really, that I think we lose something fundamental to Anglicanism. Yeah, well, that's been the
0: number one piece of advice people have given me. Go silent, Kelvin. Spend the next three years, you know, go off Twitter, go off the media. You can always do it once when, when you're ordained a priest. Spend the next three years as you curate, Play the game. I cannot... I'm in good conscience. Do that. I cannot. It's an issue of integrity. If I see an issue that I, I and I've been gifted with a platform, I have a duty and obligation to use that platform to speak out on that issue, and and also to use it to spread the good news. I can't be silenced. I, you know, I'm willing to compromise and say, look, I'll dial down on this stuff. I'll, I'll do less of that. I'll I'll spend less time doing that. But I cannot be silenced.
1: We we spoke at an event uh, not so long ago where the organisers took the wise decision not to publicize it but send it by word of mouth. We were talking about yes hot button issues but not in a controversial way we were looking at them prayerfully and theologically and yet there were those who were sort of you know, sucking in air saying not sure I want to go to that because that that might you know jeopardize X y and Z in my in my working life and I thought, that's extraordinary. Do the people on the top deck of the Church of England want that? I think because I don't think that is that is a healthy way forward.
0: It's not healthy. In that event that we went to, we would have benefited from people with different opinions to challenge mm. our own and to stretch things out. But there is no debating well anymore. It's only, you know, you're operating in bad faith. You're a, you're a biggest or whatever. Mm. And I, I do think they, they do want that singular mindset. <clears throat> I sat down with, with the Bishop of London and had a very long conversation about you know, you need to see things the way I, I do. You need to see the world through my perspective. That was her line. I'm like, well, yes, I do. But you also need to see things from my perspective. That's how these things work. But it's not the case. It is very much a the metropolitan liberal elite have this self-righteous superiority, a moral superiority that is not rooted in the Bible. Uh, you know, that's the whole point of scripture. It gives us that moral absolution. But if we're not using that, if we're using our own societal norms to suggest what's right and wrong rather than what's good or bad, we lose... faith.
1: One of the things I really recall from is when Christians, and particularly clergy, get into these Twitter pylons and character assassinations. I bet you've seen that.
0: They love a pylon. The clergy love a pylon. I think it it entertains
1: them, gives them something to do. Recently you mentioned about the Church of England struggling to communicate into the public space Mm. and that the numbers were not looking so good. And I think that there was a... uh, there was a tweet, wasn't it, that someone put out? I can't, I can't, for life of me, think who it was.
0: Yeah, it was part of the um, Save the Parish. It was on their website, so they put out a, a table of of um, statistics. I'll, I'll try and find it in a minute, but we've just we've just had in the statistics for Easter, and I believe the uh, Bishop of London's dialogue had two hundred and fifty six views. Now, the Easter special that we produced at GB News had over 150,000 views. And uh, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that as this is a platform we have to reach a large audience. And I've invited, you know, the Bishop of London, I've invited the Archbishop of Canterbury onto these shows, the Christmas special and the Easter special that I produced. And they both turned it down because they sneer at GB News viewers as the wrong type of people to be talking to, as if the gospel isn't for everyone. But that my main issue here is that we have an audience. We have people with ears and eyes open, and, um, Ready for for the for good news, and we're not willing to give it.
1: Is what you're saying? It's not only GB News, and so what you're saying to these dioceses: is, come and work with us. We've not only got the technology, but we've got access to the constituency. We have a market share of a large part of the population. Is that right?
0: I would think that's that's fair. I've got i found the numbers now, so um, You'll read them out for us. The Archbishop of Canterbury's address to the Anglican Communion had four thousand views. That's the highest. So the Bishop of Exeter's Easter message had sixty-two views. Bishop of Chichester's had uh, Christmas message had fifty-seven views. Uh, Bishop of Reading twenty-one and Truro five on his Christmas homily. Now my. The Christmas special that I produced for GB News had over 400,000 views. And again, that's not me blowing my own trumpet. That's me saying, we have these people here. You are welcome to take the platform from me. I don't want it for me. It's it's for Christ's message. And if you don't think that these people are, are willing and able or entitled to receive it, then that's on you.
1: Boy, those figures are really low. What are they getting wrong?
0: They just don't get the medium. They don't get social media. They don't no. get the broadcast media. And that's fine because we all have different gifts. Mm-hmm but we need to nurture and encourage people that do have those gifts, mm. not cast them aside. So on the other side of the fence, you know, Richard Dawkins gets 659,000 views mm. uh, when he tells a theology student his degree is useless. So people aren't getting the message of good news, but they are getting the message that God is dead or God doesn't exist. And that is detrimental to society.
1: Mm. And those churches that were essentially amateurs but just imagine if we could turn this around even a little. The
0: state that this country is in right now, people have—I think—people are more lost than they have ever been. Especially, you know, we had COVID, and and we had Brexit, and everyone's very polarized, and people are looking for a, a place to belong, and the, the church isn't there for them where it should be in a way that it should be. I think that's a great disappointment. It's one of the reasons I wanted to join the church to help change it from within and people like yourself are already doing that work and i wanted to join you in doing that because without the church without christ's body people are going to remain lost and reach out to silly things like extinction rebellion and gluing their face to the road uh or black lives matter and, and seeing racism everywhere and these things are harmful they're toxic they're divisive but people need something to belong to and i honestly think That's why we're seeing such a growth in the trans movement. Because yes, there are people with gender dysphoria, of course there are, and we should be compassionate, as we should in everything, and charitable. But the the rate at which it's grown shows that it's a trend and it's fashionable. And if you have people that may feel lonely or are in an isolated section of society, that aren't comfortable meeting people or making friends, all of a sudden... They have an entire community open up to them the moment they say they are identifying as non-binary or something. It's not about having surgery, it's not about changing your physicality, it's not even about feeling different, it's just about wanting to, to feel that you belong to something and want to be a part of something.
1: I never thought about it that way but I suppose if we unpick a lot of these critical and controversial issues there probably is that deep longing to belong to commune with others because we live in a very isolated society rod did a recent piece on general eclectic his podcast interviewing a young lady about detransitioning and whatever our listeners might think or stand when it comes to that issue certainly there are some very very dark corners of the internet which we would be naive to ignore because they can create a very compelling narrative in the minds particularly of young people.
0: We should be a light, um, an alternative light in that ever-darkening world, shouldn't we? We should be shining a torch in that dark section of the internet. We should be sharing an interest in these people.
1: Yeah, but, whereas I think the progressive liberal view of this is that that that, that, that this subculture within society has no shadows. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think... That's pastorally naive. Of course it is. It's, it's so
0: frustrating to me to see. I can see what intentioned people saying, how do we reach out to these people? And I've seen, I can't remember which church it was, that I've seen there was the LGBT flag, The they had the Bear Pride flag, which is, you know, that's quite suggestive. It's not even um, subtle. There was all these, there's Black Lives Matter flag, all these very political, um, quite exclusive political movements, I would say, in, in a chapel where where there should have just been a crucifix and or maybe an altar frontal but it's it's taking on board a different set of values because we're so embarrassed about our own values we should be saying actually this book is all we need to help these people let's take it to them let's not take let's not take their flags and replace our our values with theirs let's take them the good
1: blooming news (laughs) it's it's so simple it really is so do you think that then what a lot of people in church leadership are World well, of those on the progressive side have is a fear of being unfashionable. Mm. Yes, yeah, it's trendy. a fear idea. Of, of suddenly not belonging. If, the things, if we a, were a bit more like you, a bit more upfront and robust about a, a supernatural, biblically faithful Christianity, mm. there would be so much kickback. And, and they're probably saying, oh, well, you know, we've been kicked down enough, Calvin. We've got, you know, if, if, we do, if we go down your road, we'll be really squashed out of existence, where I think what you're saying is, no, you wouldn't. No, we wouldn't.
0: We can't be the trendy vicar. There was an issue, at, uh, a thing I took issue with over here in Oxford, where one of the really beautiful chapels, one of the, you know, we've, we've got such old buildings that are so ornate, and, and the beauty really does direct your gaze toward God, and it's fantastic. But one of them had put all these LED lights in, and 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 renamed i can't remember what they called it now but it was something really hip and trendy and i think it's it's this patronizing assumption that we're going to get people on board by being more secular because young people are already cooler than the church they don't come to the church because it's cool nobody comes to the church because it's cool they come to the church because it's alternative and i think the church should be countercultural. and yeah we might get a lot of backlash if we stand up and be properly affirming uh, of church teaching we might but it also at the same time we'll have a lot of people that will say actually I'm sick and tired of being told I'm a racist because I'm a white man I'm sick and tired of being told I'm heteronormative because I'm straight I'm sick and tired of being told that I'm a cis woman rather than just a woman I was born a woman I'm sick of t- tired of being told I'm a chest feeder uh, I can't use the word mother I'm sick and tired of being told there are 99 genders when I grew up in uh, when I went to school in biology there was men and women that was it and all of these people are sick and tired of the nonsense and the lies that they're being told over and over again and if if they saw that there was a place they could go to to just get the universal truth and a place where there was a light shining in this ever-darkening world around us people Mm -hmm. would be attracted to that if we chase society we're always 10 years behind so we're always going to be out of date and old-fashioned and we're never going to be quite cool enough that's not the right approach the approach is to be more or less static, and build upon the church fathers, build upon the church foundations, build upon scripture, and say, look, this is what we stand for.
1: And, and added into that, this idea, of something I went mentioned a few um, minutes back, you know, that we can do all of that, and yet, and, and be compassionate and pastoral. Yes. And in fact, there's 20 centuries of Christianity to prove that, to demonstrate that. However, I suspect that because of the way that history is taught, we're blinded at that intense compassion. Now we've got to fight against this very narrow, horrible history's vision of history, which says that Christianity was essentially about, you know, thumbscrews, witchcrafts and inquisitions.
0: That's a, that's a great point, because it's all about being a good person, isn't it? And we have this moral superiority today that we're better than our forebears, and we're much better than everyone else in history, because we get things now that they didn't get. And of course, that's not the case. Um, we We know what is good, because God came to earth as Man in Corner to tell us what good was, to show us what good was. And we just have to follow the life of Christ. So we've had a we've had a standard template for goodness for over 2,000 years now. We just have to follow that. And for us to think that somehow we have a better idea now mm. is just ego, it's narcissism.
1: Mm. Yeah. And, and often, as we know with most revolutions, what we end up is a worse state of affairs than what we began. <laughs> so in the case of the church, we can end up with a spiritual community that is repressive but just in a different way well you and i as christian people must be hopeful and upbeat so let me ask you this question who are the natural allies who are your natural allies do you think
0: um i think the global anglican communion i think the africans for the most part are fantastic at sticking to the principles of the faith um um, and the formula is, and as this, we're seeing a great movement in North America with the ACNA, which seems to be overtaking the Episcopal Church, which has totally lost its way. And the ACNA are re, re-founded on, um, on the Anglican formula and I'd like to see a similar movement over here, to be honest. I'd like to see a safe space, so to speak, for, for people that are Orthodox Anglicans that feel, w- within the Church of England or without of it, that feel that there, there is a place that they can be affirming and faithful uh, without fear of retribution.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, today's St. George's Day. Are you doing anything special, St. George's Day?
0: I am. I'm going to uh, speak at a conference. I think it's called Saving Britain. Uh, And David Starkey's going to be there, Emma Webb, Constantine Kissin, a good group of people. Not just talking about the issues that we're facing in society, but proposing solutions. Mm -hmm. I think that's always a positive thing, because this is a great nation with great people. uh, And we have a great future. We just need to let people see it more often. But did you know Uh, St. George was Turkish?
1: George was Turkish. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna go, so you're going to go for a Turkish tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> we love, self-flagellation. We love food. Uh, we, we love fish and chips. We love,
0: um, oh, fish and chips weren't bad. British either.
1: Apparently, that is not, is it? Oh dear.
0: The self-flagellation of the ruling classes, of the elite, the elite classes that everything has to have be been born here, otherwise it's not British, shows their inherent racism. Actually.
1: Well, uh, it's been great to talk to you, Calvin, and I wish you wish you all the all the very best every every blessing Uh, I think uh, you're a trailblazer and let's see what the the months and years ahead God God gives you. Thank you I'm sure it will be turbulent either way. (laughs) Yes (laughs) turbulent but not uninteresting. Mm, Thank you it's been an absolute pleasure. Take care God bless.